reading from 1 Samuel 24. After Samuel returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up, unnoticed, and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. But you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the King of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord gave me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now... Swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul and then Saul returned home but David and his men went up to the stronghold.
Good morning, church family. Good morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just wanted to say again, just from Leah and I, we're just so grateful to have a church community to, you know, enjoy our, and celebrate the baptism of Ruth um, with you, just being, you know, moving away from everyone that we've known. And yeah, we definitely don't take it for granted. So um, yeah, thank you, everyone. Uh, let me pray as we uh, get into God's word together this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word again today, uh, we're reminded that often we're surprised and even shocked by what we read of in the Bible. Uh, So often stories might surprise us or cause us to stop and reflect about ourselves, about the world, about you. And this narrative before us is no different to that, as it shockingly exposes our sin. And I pray, Father, that as we consider these words here, your words, uh, that your Holy Spirit would work in us, that you would shape us, you would uh, lead us in in your ways and not the ways of the world. I pray, Father, that uh, your Holy Spirit would do a deep work in our hearts and that through that we would have a greater joy of the gospel, a greater joy of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of the sad realities of life is how we mistreat each other at various times. Sometimes this mistreatment might be quite minor and we can brush it off without it being too big a deal. An off-the-cuff mark in the workplace. Siblings throwing toys at each other. We haven't had that in our household at all. Let's not cry over spilt milk, we might say, or... Eat some concrete and toughen up, we hear the tradie call out. At other times, though, mistreatment from others can be a whole lot worse. And when we are mistreated, so often our human instinct is the desire to strike back. As was the case with a man named Tony Simo. Now, Tony, who I believe was was from South Carolina in the USA... In 1983, he pleaded guilty to conspiring with another person to murder Rudolf Tyner. Rudolf himself had previously already been convicted of murdering Tony's own parents in an armed robbery back in 1978 and sent to prison. But frustrated with the court processes that failed to deliver the desired outcome of the death penalty for Rudolf, Tony took it into his own hands to avenge the murder of his parents. He did so by arranging a prison mate in the same prison as Rudolph to commit the crime. Upon receiving his own conviction, Tony is recorded as saying, I don't feel the good Lord holds nothing against me for this. Someone who knew Tony commented, There comes a time when a man has to take things into his own hands for peace of mind. This story certainly highlights this issue for us, this desire for personal vengeance. Perhaps you might even think of the infamous Aussie figure Chopper Reed, who in a similar way took upon himself to take vengeance on others. The question for us today though is this, how do you respond when you feel mistreated by others? Whether that mistreatment is minor or severe, or somewhere in between. 
But I'm sure we can all remember a time in our life that we have struck back in someone, whether in desire, in thought, or in deed. When we have taken matters into our own hands and sought personal vengeance. However, when it comes to the Christian faith in our passage here before us in 1 Samuel 24, we find that the gospel challenges this desire for personal vengeance. At this point, you might recall Jesus' own words, turn the other cheek, as you might have read. But how does this work in practice? On the one hand, how do we not simply ignore injustice that has occurred, as if it didn't even happen? While on the other hand, how do we truly fight this sometimes strong desire to take personal vengeance without becoming, you know, in, in the meantime, becoming oppressors ourselves? This is what we're going to be wrestling with this morning in this passage. And as we do so, we find that the gospel not only calls us to a radical approach when it comes to personal vengeance, we find that the gospel also equips us with the resources that we need to live out this difficult calling. So the first thing that we're going to explore is what happens. What happens when we all take personal vengeance, take matters into our own hands? We'll explore this by exploring uh, Saul's hand against David. Saul's hand against David. What we learn from God's word here is that taking personal vengeance brings along with, along with it some pretty tragic consequences. You might call it short-term gain, long-term pain. It's helpful for us just to understand a bit of the background here. Last week, if you remember, we explored the David and Goliath narrative back in chapter 17. Now, basically ever since that time... Saul has become mindlessly jealous of David. Upon hearing after the battle of David and Goliath, women sing out, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Back in chapter 18, verse 7, Saul, from that moment, is threatened by this rising star, David. Saul was fearful of the perceived threat David was to his kingship despite how well David had tr treated Saul up to this point. Now, ever since, Saul had been opposed to David, seeking his downfall and his death, with Saul on numerous occasions physically chasing after David or even hurling a spear at him in his courts. This all left David fleeing for his life. So chapter 4 before us is one of those episodes this time when Saul, this time Saul's hounding down David and his 600 men with an army of 3,000 expert warriors. We see Saul here taking matters into his own hands, seeking to dispose of David, perceiving him to be his enemy. Similar to Saul's pursuit of David, Taking personal vengeance can seem like gain to us, at least in the short term. Why is this so? Well, you get the instant gratification, don't you? The feeling that justice has been done. 
If only I can get David, then I'll be happy, Saul's heart cries out. Or, like Tony, when you actually achieve that justice, you might get that peace of mind, at least temporarily. That you can sleep well at night knowing that a wrong has been made right in your eyes, in your own eyes. But it's important for us to understand and see what this pursuit of personal vengeance over our enemies, where does it really lead? Where did it lead Saul? (laughs) Well, the situation, I think you'd have to admit, is spectacularly ironic and somewhat surreal. Having God's providence written all over it. Saul just happens to walk into the cave for a toilet stop. The very cave where David and his 600 men were hiding there in the shadows. <laughs> Unbeknown to him, Saul had walked straight into David's hands. In the deep depths of this dark cave, Saul felt his safest, his most secure. And yet that couldn't be further from the truth. Rather, he was in his most vulnerable and humiliating position. With 600 armed men breathing in the pleasant odours of his number twos, ready to pounce on Saul. I mean, can you even imagine the situation? It's surreal. Rather than catching David, he was the one caught out. Fellow churchgoers, this morning we have an opportunity to learn from Saul here. Although personal vengeance feels like short-term gain, inevitably it does lead to long-term pain. How does this work? Well, for starters, like Saul, if you never ever achieve that payback, that getting vengeance, it can burn and eat you up from the inside out. If you remember, Saul became increasingly obsessed with this desire to rid himself of David, that he literally went insane. Tony confessed that before he arranged the murder of Rudolph, he simply couldn't sleep properly at night. If you never ever achieve it, it will eat away at you. What's more, it negatively affects other relationships in your life. Saul's animosity towards David expressed itself in other relationships. You could read of his friction between him and his own son, Jonathan. It became a very strained relationship. He was constantly suspicious and distrusting of the motives of others. Perhaps you could picture the marriage relationship for a moment and the temptation to get even with your partner. You secretly bought yourself that expensive toy, so I went and secretly spent our savings on this new car that I wanted. But such a reaction pours fuel on the fire, causing more rifts and even less intimacy. In the workplace, you might manage to climb the corporate ladder by ruthlessly treating others. But word will get around, and you certainly won't develop deep and trustworthy friendships. On the sports field, you might excel individually. But when something goes wrong between teammates... You might quickly find yourself pulling the whole team down and destroying it from the inside out. A vengeful spirit won't pay off in the long run. I wonder if you've ever seen this play out in your own life, 
or the lives around you. If there's uh, a time where you've seen this flow-on effect of this vengeful, vengeful spirit at work. I couldn't help but think of those seven news reporters this week who were secretly filmed uh, bad-mouthing and speaking foully of Djokovic. Now, some of their, their concerns may have been legitimate, but their rash words and attitudes surely cause more division and harm rather than less. And even if it's easy for us to point the finger at them, I'm sure you and I can all point the finger back at ourselves when there's been a time that we've regretted speaking quite stupidly or rashly ourselves. But there are even more longer-term pain to consider for us today. Why is this? For we have a judge in heaven who will hold us accountable for our vengeful attitudes and actions. Romans 14.12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Equally in Matthew 12.36, Jesus warns us, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. The Apostle Peter, speaking of those who continue to pursue sinful lives, says in 1 Peter verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 5, For they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Ultimately, taking the high ground as judge will leave us being judged ourselves in eternity by the only true moral and righteous judge, God in heaven above. So that's Saul, Saul's hand against David. Seeing that vengefulness doesn't actually pay off. Next, let's, let's consider this call of the Christian to refrain from taking personal vengeance. We'll do this by exploring Dave's, David's restrained hand against Saul. David's restrained hand against Saul. What we learn here is that the call of the Christian to avoid this personal vengeance, although it may be short-term pain, it is long-term gain. Instead of listening to his men, David did perhaps the virtually unthinkable. He withholds his hand and spares Saul his life. In this way, David shows us that refraining from taking personal vengeance is short-term pain. Why? Because we don't receive that instant gratification for our desire for justice. I mean, let's not forget what David had been through at the hand of Saul. Saul had caused David tremendous personal pain. David had lost contact with his life, Michael, Saul's daughter, because he had to flee. David was now unemployed, having lost his role within Saul's army and royal courts. David's reputation had been ruined, with fellow Israelites now spying on him for Saul's sake, let alone the loss of relationship between Saul and David themselves. With a saying back in chapter, 15, uh, chapter 16, that Saul once loved David. I mean, David's life had been utterly ruined by this bloke, 
Surely it would have been understandable if David retaliated. I mean, what would you have done in David's position? Well said. Furthermore, God's word heightens how difficult our calling really is in two more ways. For one, it shows that the mere desire to take vengeance without actually acting upon it is sinful, with David's own conscience being troubled as he cut Saul's robe off here. In addition to this, God's calls the Christians not only, uh, we're not only to not desire the personal harm of others, but actually the opposite, to show mercy and seek to do good to them. David showed good uh, to Saul here by even stopping his own men from pouncing on Saul. Saul's response out of the cave says it all, I think. He says, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, where I have repaid you evil. In Romans 12, verses 17 to 21, we see this difficult calling spelt out for us by the Apostle Paul. It says there from verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a terribly difficult calling. But as difficult as this calling is, through David we learn that such a calling really does lead to long-term gain. I mean, how is this so? Well, for one... It puts a limit on and puts the brakes on this never-ending downward spiral of carnage that vengeance causes people and relationships. I mean, if you picture a heavy freight truck that slams on the brakes before it crashes into the car in front of it or runs a red light through an intersection. Remember that in David's situation, there were 3,000 armed men outside the cave. How many other lives might have been lost that day if David took Saul's life and Saul's army came looking for their master? Similarly for us today, overcoming a vengeful spirit has the opportunity to save other relationships in your life. Rather than retaliating when we're being attacked, have you ever noticed how hostility can so often dissolve when a calm and measured response is given in return. Despite the other person beginning the conversation with those explosive rockets and darts coming out of their mouth. I mean, this doesn't always work, but often it does. This calling for the Christian is also a powerful opportunity to be a witness. By facilitating peace and mercy where there's hostility and fighting. Praying that your enemies might, by your example, be led to repentance and faith in Jesus themselves. 
such a calling doesn't mean that we necessarily need to put ourselves always in harm's way. I mean, remember that David was, in the end, fleeing from Saul. And after this episode, he retreated back to his stronghold rather than trusting that Saul wouldn't come after him again. Nor are we to ignore the God-given role of civil authorities uh, who have been given uh, the, the role to enact some justice in this life. But whatever it means, it doesn't mean this taking personal vengeance when mistreated, even when that mistreatment inevitably does occur in this broken world. But for David, he perceived an even longer-term gain. He perceived that in the end, God would bring justice. As we see in verse 12, he puts his hope in God. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. In this way, refraining from personal vengeance doesn't mean you make light of injustice and mistreatment. It simply recognizes that full justice is still in the future when God returns and actually judges all people on the last day. It also recognizes who reserves the right to judge God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, declares the Lord. As you reflect on your own life here this morning, do you have this capacity to show mercy when wronged? To refrain from vengeful motives and actions? Is there anyone in your life who you are currently holding a grudge against who you need to forgive and show mercy towards? Are you willing to even repay good to them for what they've done to you? Maybe you even feel this way towards God, holding a grudge against Him for some problem or hardship in your life. Are you willing to face Him in your troubles and prayerfully come to the table as it were? So there's that difficult calling that we receive here today from God's Word. But perhaps you think to yourself, how on earth can I achieve this impossible calling? At least in a perfect way in every situation, even when treated really poorly. Well, fortunately, God's Word doesn't leave us empty-handed. Not only are we called to this difficult calling of self-restraint, self-control, restraint and mercy, but God through the Gospel gives us the resources that we need to truly live this out. Lastly, let's explore this through considering God's hand against Jesus. God's hand against Jesus. David's actions surely points us to Jesus and the cross. As David's descendant, Jesus was that who, through him, God's kingdom was established. How is this so? Well, on the cross, we see the ultimate example of someone leaving vengeance in God's hands, exemplifying mercy. With Jesus, who never acted vengefully himself, showing the ultimate self-control, restraint and mercy towards sinners, even to the point of death on the cross. Why is this so significant for us in our fight against taking 
vengeance and this desire that we have in us. Well, as the Apostle Peter says in Romans, the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel, through the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus died as our substitute and took our place, receiving the penalty of death owing to us because of our sin. He fulfilled God's righteous laws and decrees against sin on the cross. In this way, the cross achieves two extremely significant things when it comes to overcoming vengeance in our own lives. Firstly, the cross proves to us that God doesn't take injustice and mistreatment lightly. God on the cross shows us what we all deserve for our sin, death and judgment and the wrath of God. Therefore, the cross shows us that justice justice will, in the end, always be done. We can trust that sin will be dealt with, either through ourselves or our oppressors, putting our faith and trust in Jesus and his death on the cross, or in eternity when God's hand will be eternally against all who continue in their sin and their unbelief towards Jesus. The cross then gives us hope that justice will be done no matter how severely we may have been treated. Secondly, I think we could say that the cross empowers us to forgive others and show mercy, knowing that we ourselves have been forgiven of grievously mistreating God in our sin. When we think of Jesus up there on the cross, we see that death penalty that you and I deserve. In this way, we can all humbly identify with David's self-identification in degrading terms. He describes himself as a dead dog and a flea. And actually, that's actually a good description of us in our sin. We're good as dead without God's mercy, grace, and compassion towards us. In this way, only the cross of Christ can give humanity the spiritual resources that we truly need to overcome vengeance and its consequences. When you feel mistreated by others, think of the cross. Think of what Jesus went through for you and because of you. Remember that what you truly deserve because of your sin. That when God comes knocking on the door to judge for, for our sins... We can say in that moment, see Christ. He will plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Because Christ is our true fortress in who we reside in and take shelter under. Remember in those moments of hardship and mistreatment, God's wonderful mercy and compassion and love shown towards you. Remember the joy of knowing that you are accounted amongst his sheep in his sheepfold. That your eternity is secure no matter how vulnerable or humiliated you might feel at times in this life. In this way, there's a willingness to be lowly, become lowly, and recognize our sin and what it leads to, and withhold vengeance, knowing that by doing so, God will exalt you in the end. So, are you willing to take up this difficult calling? To look to the cross and fight vengeance in your own heart. 
Have you truly and spiritually seen and experienced the wonders of what the cross really is for yourself? Picturing and knowing the love of your suffering Savior, who even as he was dying on the cross, prayed for his oppressors and said, Father, forgive them, for they not, do not know what they do. A Savior who took vengeance on himself so that God's hand and vengeance wouldn't be shown against you and I. I pray that this might be true for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we confess that you are more righteous than we are. For you have repaid us good, whereas we have repaid you evil. On the cross, Lord, you have overlooked our sins. You've paid for them. You've atoned for them. You've withheld your hand against us and put your hand against Jesus. Father, we want to thank you for that today. We want to thank you that you showed mercy to us, even if we didn't deserve mercy. Father, I pray that we might come afresh today and really see the wonders of what you achieved for us on the cross. Father, as we consider times in our own life, when we want to take personal vengeance. Help us in those moments to uh, see the situation in your eyes, not in our own eyes, to not take matters into our own hands, but leave it all in your hands, no matter how hard that might be. Father, we confess that that is a difficult calling and that actually we fail often at that. I pray, Father, that you might, uh, through your spirit, empower us to truly live out this difficult calling and that this difficult calling might be a powerful witness to the world, that your church might uh, radiate with Christ to others, showing the mercy that you've shown towards sinners. Father, I also pray that you might give us yeah, the spiritual resources to go above and beyond to actually do good to those who harm us. And Father, we thank you that in the end, all things will be made right. That you are not someone who takes injustice lightly. But Father, you will judge the sin of this world. And that is a good thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.